Hello, and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. And what follows is an excellent talk by historian and educator Catherine Amin entitled, Jack is a Feminist Issue, the Double Standard Through Time. This was recorded back in 2015 when she was known as Kate Bradshaw, prior to her marriage to author Nathan Amin, and is one of a series of recordings RipperCast has had for quite a while that I'm just beginning to go through, and due to the popularity of this talk by those who witnessed it, and that its subject matter still remains current, we've decided to release Kate's talk along with the question and answer session with her permission, rather than allow it to sit in storage unheard any longer. An edited version of this talk was featured in Ripperologist Magazine number 145, and I'll provide a link to download that issue in the show notes that accompany this podcast episode. My apologies in advance for the microphone rustling in the beginning of this recording, made by one of our special correspondents, and if you get through those rough patches, you're in for what by all accounts is an excellent presentation. So let's turn it over to Kate Amin with Jack is a Feminist Issue, the Double Standard Through Time. I'll come back to it at the end of the talk. Um, it is a quote from someone you might recognise, might not, and see. And it's, it says, The worst thing to happen to Jack, uh, to feminism since Jack the Ripper is to suggest that the relationship between feminism and Jack the Ripper really can only be a negative one. Um, and I think recent events, as, as uh, John and Laura uh, um, hinted at, the, the opening of the museum, etc., would, would suggest that that's true. But I don't actually think that has to be the case. I believe that true discussion of the, of the topic, etc., um, very much fits in with a feminist ideology and a feminist idea. Um, but alongside true study, true investigation, we also see things like the uh, plethora of Ripper merchandise that is out there, um, which uh, includes things like you can have your Jack the Ripper latte in your Jack the Ripper latte glass. Um, where a woman has been reduced to a sort of red smudge along the bottom of, of, the, of the cup. Um, and I think it's things like that that is what annoys feminists and gets feminists angry. And um, I think the mythologizing of Jack the Ripper, the creation of a folk hero. When we think of the word hero, I think of men who die for their country. I think of people who you know, stand in front of you know, buses to save children and things like that. I don't think of a man who kills women. But that is the, the image that has been uh, portrayed in the media. And I think there's a great distinction between Jack in the media and Jack that, that we study, if you like. There's even been a, a Jack the Ripper musical, which when it was released, well, there's been a number of Jack the Ripper musicals, but the one that I'm thinking of when it was released um, said that it promised seasons of fun, terror, song, and dance. Uh, and I'm not sure how much fun uh, there is really uh, about, about Jack the Ripper. So, um, as a woman, and, and I'm, I openly call myself a feminist, uh, I often have to justify my interest in the case to people. Uh, when I say, for example, that as John said, I met my husband at a Jack the Ripper event, people look really quite horrified um, and shocked. Um, I also got interested in the case really young. Um, you mentioned about the, the Jack the Ripper film, that came out when I was eight. And I already had an interest in the case before that because I'd pestered my dad to record it for me. And I think that interest came from the media for all, the whole uh, stirring up of the issue, which was going on long before actually the autumn of, of 1988. 
um, and had a lot to do with the, uh, the media portrayal of the, uh, the groups that were acting against the uh, sort of public face of the centenary, uh, and also before that, which I'd like to talk about. Uh, I talk about myself sometimes as a feminist historian, although I don't teach feminist lessons as such. I don't have a feminist degree. I have a history degree. Um, so when I'm talking about what uh, feminism is in terms of a historical discipline, I need to be quite specific about what it means. So for me, and in this context, I've always believed that this, this quote kind of sums up how I feel. Um, feminist history is the study of history from the perspective of, of the woman, the female perspective. And it's a movement to promote women's place in history by ensuring equality of uh, representation. Now, you might be uh, forgiven for thinking that women were a modern invention if you were to study history. Uh, we, we get a bit lost um, in there. Scratch the surface though, and there are lots and lots and lots of really interesting stories about women. So does history now have to become her story? Somebody asked me that on one of the Jack pages on Facebook that I'm into. Uh, does it have to become her story now? And I said, well, no. Yeah, it's a very clever play on words, and it's a play on words that feminists have used to point out the lack of representation of women in his history. The history itself is not a gender-based discipline. Uh, you can have Marxist historians who study the class issues surrounding history. You can have military historians who study uh, why wars take place and the evolution of, of, of soldiers, etc. Um, but if we're looking at uh, feminist history, it is, it is history of, of women. And, you know, women are a huge part of the River case, aren't they? It's the death of five women, uh, at least, that we are talking about here. So women have to be there. <coughs> when we think about women who are famous in history, we tend to actually be looking at women who took on a male role uh, at the time that they were at. So we think about people like Elizabeth I, we think about people like Cleopatra, we think about our own dear Queen Victoria in this instance, and we're not seeing women being women, we're actually seeing women being men uh, you know, in, in lots of ways. So. I do try, personally as a historian, to make sure that the stories of women are, are remembered um, through, you know, when I teach, etc., just so that people don't forget that we were actually there. So we know what the study of history is, and I mentioned feminism, and I just want to very quickly talk about what feminism is and where it came from. Um, we often think of feminism, when we talk about feminism, we think about the 1960s, don't we? We think about people burning bras and, uh, and the book, The Feminine Mystique, etc. But actually, it started long before that. The term, feminisme, was coined by a, uh, a French utopian socialist called Charles Fourier in 1837. It went into the Oxford English Dictionary in 1852. So they gave us the word feminism, we gave them the word twerk. <laughs> not sure who got the best deal there. Uh, this is not the first time, however, it was in the 1800s that saw feminist movements taking place. Uh, during the uh, 17th century, at the time of the English Civil War, women played a huge part in that. Uh, they played a huge part, for example, in the leveller movement, uh, a group who wanted to see society levelled uh, and equality for all. Uh, there's a wonderful case, if you study the English Civil War, a woman called Brilliana Harvey. Her name is Brilliana. Yeah, what a great name. Certainly worthy of studying just for that. But in fact, 
She held her castle, uh, her, well, her husband's castle, against sustained attacks from royalists successfully and left us with a wonderful um, collection of coded letters that she wrote to her son. Uh, and she's really, really interesting, and I, I like to make sure that I get her in there uh, and talk to, to my students about her. Moving forward in time a little bit, in 1792, Mary Wollstonecraft published what is believed to be one of the earliest books on feminist philosophy, A Vindication of the Rights of Women. By the mid-19th century, women were incredibly active in the Chartist movement. We see female Chartists fighting for the extension of the franchise to women, uh, as it had been uh, to men. By the end of the 19th century, of course, that's moved into um, the women's suffrage movement, as we would see it, uh, as we recognise it. So women and feminists are all over the place in history, uh, just not necessarily always recognised. So by the time that the Whitechapel murders began, there was a very well-established international feminist movement. The consideration of the relationship between Jack the Ripper and feminism has to be uh, looked at in the same way as we do any historical discipline. We usually ask five key questions. We ask, did uh, people at the time recognise uh, that there was a link? Um, has that link lasted through time? What was the situation at the beginning um, and, and where did it go? Do we think that link is still important today and are the issues raised by that link still important today? So it kind of, we need to look kind of through time. At, at, is there a sustained relationship between feminism and Jack the Ripper and what is the nature of that, that relationship? So with that in mind, I wanted to start by looking at the situation of women um, in, in the sort of contemporary time. Now we all know that the ideal Victorian woman was pure, uh, modest and chaste. She didn't even discuss undergarments, let alone a totally taboo subject of sex. Even when riding a horse, women were not, or certainly advised not to ride as men, in case the action was to awaken in them sexual desire, or tear the hymen, which might uh, make it impossible for them to prove upon marriage that they had been virgins. So the constraints placed on women were, were enormous. I think we're all pretty kind of aware and we understand that. On the other hand, men were expected to have a, a sexual, be a sexual being. Uh, they were expected to sow their wild oats, and uh, in some cases this, uh, this led to the practice of slumming uh, in places like the East End, where certainly middle class and up young men would go to brothels or street prostitutes in the East End uh, to be able to um, see to their needs, shall we say. So this is what I'm referring to when I'm talking about the Victorian double standard. Okay, this idea that for one wrong rule for men and another rule for women. Women were not supposed to be sexual beings, they were not supposed to have a sexual uh, identity, whereas men were fully expected to. Now there's a, obviously a big problem with that, isn't there? How do men express their sexual being without women? So there has to be women who are there to fulfill that side of things. And those women became known as the fallen. And there's a wonderful line, it's not my favourite film, but there's a great line in, uh, in From Hell where uh, Heather Graham being Mary Kelly makes some comment about how there are no, uh, there's no sort of prostitutes in the East End, there's just a whole load of very unlucky women. Um, which, you know, 
it, it does fit quite well because they were considered to be some sort of outside being. <coughs> Victorian literature expressed this very, very well. Um, a wonderful book, Tess of the Durbervilles by uh, Thomas Hardy. In that book, Tess, on her wedding night, uh, is told by her husband that he has had a, a sexual relationship with another woman. And he begs her forgiveness. And she says, well, that's okay, um, because I've had a sexual relationship with a man. In fact, a sexual relationship which we would recognise as being a, an abusive relationship. Her husband says, oh, not having that, and leaves her. Um, and this sets into motion a whole load of events that will eventually lead to Tessa's downfall. And that really highlights um, the fact that probably the most unjust aspect of the double standard is that the very ideal of womanhood that turned wives into sort of chaste angels in the home turned other women into society's most hatred and reviled. So what was the situation with feminists at the time? Well, uh, feminists had been extremely active in the latter part of the 19th century. Uh, the world for women was changing. Um, marriage laws, education rights, etc. meant that a lot of women were having a growing sense of independence. For many feminists, however, there was one cause that they were united around, and it was this idea of this double standard. So, feminists had been very, very active in taking part in, for example, the uh, fight to repeal the Contagious Diseases Act of uh, the 1860s. Uh, if you don't know about the Contagious Diseases Act, the idea was that there was an absolute uh, rush of venereal diseases, they called it at the time, amongst um, people in the, in the forces. And so uh, the acts were in, in supposed to be kind of managing that. And one of the things that was allowed to happen under that act was that as a woman walking through a garrison or a naval town, uh, it was perfectly acceptable for you to be stopped by uh, a member of the police um, and to be forcibly searched to see if you had venereal disease. And feminist writers are all over the press writing to say this is akin to rape, um, this is absolutely disgusting, um, and it's also putting the blame for what was going on squarely at the feet of women. Um, so feminists kind of saw prostitutes as being one of their causes to unite behind. Many uh, at the time wrote to papers, etc., as I've said, and there was an absolute uproar, there was a complete shock that nice middle-class women would be writing to the newspapers discussing such issues. It also threw the government, because they had no idea how to respond to this. They were used to dealing with the braying nature of Parliament that we're all still very familiar with today. They weren't used to any of this coming from women. And in fact, um, a member of Parliament who was speaking to Josephine Butler, who was one of the leaders of the repeal movement against the Contagious Diseases Act, said to her, we don't know what to do with you. We don't know how to deal with you. So this is the sort of uh, the, the situation as we move towards uh, the Ripper murders. Feminists refused to sort of label women who were, uh, were prostitutes. Uh, they chose instead always to refer to them as mothers and sisters before anything else. Now, I was having a very interesting conversation last night with one of the delegates about how um, when the Suffolk Strangler was going on, they repeatedly had to say the word prostitute, 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 over and over again. And I, I must admit, I didn't like that because uh, I thought there were lots of other words that you could use. And I think it leads into that whole idea of blaming the victim for, for what happened to you. So by 1885, there was a large, large press um, movement to uh, kind of tackle this attitude towards prostitution. And it was in that 
that uh, the, the um, Maiden Tribune of Modern Babylon has written. Now, this focuses particularly on the child prostitution issue, obviously, um, but the knock-on effect clearly links it to, to the feminist ideas. And there was a brilliant piece of uh, investigative journalism, if some of the provenance was slightly dodgy. Um, it certainly brought the attention of the country on the sex trade. And the hope of feminists at the time, such as Butler, was that it would bring sympathy to the women who were caught up in this trade and, and highlight the fact that for many it was, a, it was an option that they chose <coughs> between that and starvation. What actually happened was very, very different. A lot of the press turned against the, the women and started a campaign of uh, attacking non-marital, non-reproductive sexuality. So these women who everyone was hoping were going to become the focus of, uh, of pity, etc., actually became the focus of, of attack. By the time the press began to link murderous attacks on women in the East End, there was a general feeling in the press that such women had given up the right to have the world pity them. Um, even radical papers, such as the Star, describe prostitutes as unsexed, dehumanised creatures who had violated their womanhood for the price of a night's lodging. This is very much an attack on, on, on the, the victims at the beginning of, of, uh, of the autumn of terror. Canon Barnett, who was one of the founder members of Toynbee Hall, even went so far as to say that the lives of the women being targeted by the murder were more disgusting than their murders. The overwhelming attitude of the press was that the victims had been responsible for their deaths by virtue of their way of life, an attitude which I'm really sad to say still persists amongst some today. The Telegraph was to comment that the victims had all, uh, were all married and had lived apart from their husbands in consequence of their intemperate habits, which actually, when you investigate that, is, is not, totally, not totally true. The writer went on to say that these drunken, vicious, miserable wretches, whom it was almost a charity to relieve of the penalty of existence, were not very particular about how they earned a living. A charity to relieve them of their lives. Really, really, really shocking. To feminists, this attack on victims was too much to bear. Many voiced their opinion and their outrage in the press. Attitudes do seem to soften slightly. Uh, by the time of the uh, funeral cortege of Mary Kelly is reported, it's a much more sympathetic um, <coughs> publication. Uh, I think anybody watching that uh, move from the, uh, the mortuary in, in Shoreditch to the, to the, the cemetery in Lakenstone uh, couldn't help but be moved by this. You know, everybody knew she'd undergone the most horrific of deaths. Lots and lots of women came out onto the streets to support their sister. And, and it was very openly sort of said that women were claiming her as one of their own. What I find interesting, actually, though, is, is the vocal outpouring. The, the most common phrase I could pick up in press reports uh, was, God forgive her. Now, I know that Mary was a sinner by virtue of being a prostitute. I know that in line with the teachings of her faith, she died without receiving extreme unction. It's hard to imagine why, in many ways, they felt that uh, they needed to call for her forgiveness. But I think it really, really shows that the attitudes of the time. Now, women uh, didn't just write to talk about the, uh, the situation of prostitutes, etc. Women wrote to the press to, uh, about a number of things. Um, 
Feminists clearly saw the opportunity to link what was going on to their long-standing campaign about violence towards women. Um, the campaign had been raised in the press by, by men and women alike, um, and many, many, many men actually pointed out that in situations where there was a, a violent uh, prosecution brought against a husband for violence against his wife, the actual penalty he suffered was not by him while he was in prison, but by his wife and children, who often ended up destitute and entering the workhouse. In provincial newspapers, actually the, the attitude towards women was, was far less sympathetic over this issue. Uh, usually the woman who was involved was criticised for bringing a prosecution against her husband and was described as a scold and a nag, old-fashioned words. Many feminists uh, wrote to the newspapers to highlight the, the link between these campaigns. Uh, Florence Fenwick Miller uh, wrote to the Daily News and said that uh, the, the murders were not just murders, they were woman killings. And pointed out that they were part of a culture of cruelty to women which was treated leniently by judges. This chimed with the opinions of another um, feminist writer, Dr. Kate Mitchell, who wrote and said that she knew of a case of a man called James Henderson, who had been taken into trial for severely beating a prostitute and had been let off with a fine. In the publicity surrounding the murders, feminists hoped to find a cause on which to hitch their banner. As feminist historian Judith, Judith Walkowitz observed, media coverage of the murders was to take up the themes and narratives of female reformers but were to package them in a way that was palatable to the male audience. Now, women responded to the murders in a number of different ways, and it usually, uh, responded, it usually corresponded to their social status. Queen Victoria herself was said to have taken up an interest in the case long before the official record suggests, and many women of the upper classes gathered together in groups to discuss the latest salacious accounts in the press. On a more practical level, the writer and social reformer Francis Power Cobb suggested that female detectives be employed to try and catch the killer, and this idea was met with absolute horror. <coughs> Others, including uh, Josephine Butler, who I've already mentioned, uh, decided that um, they would try and work in a way that to try and protect the women um, from things such as the reactionary idea of closing down brothels. They recognised that this was to throw more victims possibly into the path of the killer, uh, and, and was not a good idea. Um, in both the East and West Ends, women began to organise into groups to allow greater protection on the streets. Um, there's a wonderful picture. I'll come back to that here. There's a wonderful picture of women armed and ready to uh, to take on the Ripper Should He Brink Counter. It's interesting to link that to uh, some of the people who discuss whether or not Elizabeth Stride was, uh, was a Ripper victim. They talk about the, the difference, possible differences between knives, and some think that possibly it's because she was armed with her own defence that the Ripper managed to get hold of and, and used against her. So, um, by the October um, of, of the killings, uh, well, of the autumn terrorists, where there were no killings, and lots of people believe that this is partly linked to actions such as greater police presence on the streets, but also the response of women in, in, in joining together and, uh, and trying to, uh, to avoid um, Jack. So, by the end of, of the Autumn of Terror, we've seen feminists very vocal in the press, we've seen campaigns um, that were already going on, being linked uh, to the case and the sort of, uh, the ideas behind them being trying to be used by feminists to, to further their own causes. So clearly at the beginning, the relationship between Jack and, and feminism was, was in some ways a positive one. 
So the next part is to think about, well, okay, so were women interested in the case? I am a woman, I'm interested in the case, I look around, so there's a lot of women here interested in the case. So what is always the, the, uh, the situation? Well, uh, I don't know if you recognise the picture of, of um, Kathleen Kit Coleman or, or Watkins, that she was also known. Um, she was a Canadian, uh, an Irish actually, Irish-born Canadian journalist. And she had a little bit of a trailblazer in Canada uh, for women journalists. She had a column called The Women's Kingdom, which was the first um, column run by a woman, just a woman, for women. Um, in newspapers in Canada, and she she abandoned some subjects such as housekeeping and fashion, which of course you know we're only interested in, and insisted on writing about things like politics and business and religion. She said women would be interested in. She tackled lots and lots of subjects such as social reform um, and the issue of domestic violence. She also looked at. Um, employment rights for women as well, which was something which obviously you know, takes on a, a new meaning about 100 years later. Now, at the time, Coleman didn't necessarily identify herself as a feminist, and I think this is true of a lot of what we look at with the Ripper, that you know, at that very moment, people weren't saying, I'm interested in this because it's a feminist issue, because there were so many movements going on that it wasn't until a bit later that people looked around and went, oh, that, that's what that was. Certainly by 1910, she's referring herself to herself as a feminist and was campaigning for women's suffrage. Now, she went to London as a travel writer, and as part of it, she ventured into the East End, and she went to visit the room where Mary Kelly was murdered. Uh, she arrived and was greeted by its current inhabitant, a woman called Lottie. Now, Lottie really uh, exemplifies this idea that there was an ongoing issue of domestic violence in the East End because when she, Coleman tried to speak to her, Lottie had difficulty speaking because she'd been kicked in the face by her husband. The room, Coleman noted, was actually still bloodstained, um, which you know maybe says more about the social conditions than it does about women, but was certainly a horrific detail to, to find. It's probable, in keeping with the uh, practice of journalists of the day, that uh, Coleman offered Lottie some money to tell her about her relationship with, uh, with the Ripper. And she certainly goes on to talk about how she knew Mary Kelly. She'd spoken, <coughs> indeed, to, um, to Mary Kelly, who had told her that she was scared um, because she'd had a dream where a man was killing her. Um, she also said that she'd heard her singing the night that she died and, and things like that. I don't know how much of that was genuinely true or how much of it she picked up from the sort of <laughs> the legend of the case. Um, but what is, is very, very clear here is that, that Coleman thought this was of an, an interest to women. Women mostly were her readers in her column and um, she thought women wanted to know about this. And she wouldn't be <coughs> wrong. Um, in 2007, Philip Hutchinson uh, found the um, Burner Street picture. Sorry, that feels your picture, my brain went there. Um, he, uh, he was creating a book, the Jack Ripper location photographs, trawling the internet, the eBay, I'm sure a lot was due for uh, Ripper related items, and found a uh, picture, the picture book, which had photographs from a woman's uh, trip, grand trip, or, uh, to to Europe, she was an American lady. And one of them is a picture of Duckfield's yard. Now, Phillips roughly dated this to about 1903, um, 15 years then after the canonical uh, murders took place. 
And clearly, this woman was interested in Jack the Ripper. Why would you go? Um, it certainly isn't on any tour list um, that uh, Philip found. You know, doesn't say let's pop and see where a woman was murdered. So she's clearly gone out of her way to see this, or have been taken out of her way to see this. And so I think that what this shows is actually with, the, with Coleman and with the uh, Duckfields Yard um, photographer, uh, women were some of the earliest ripperologists. So how, therefore, then has if we've got women legitimately and happily being interested in the case, how has this come to what we could talk about today, which is this hostile relationship. Well, the Ripper case kind of vanished from the news, uh, the big news headlines uh, in the early part of the 20th century. And I think there was an awful lot going on in the early part of the 20th century. We had two horrific wars, um, lots and lots of social unrest, etc. So possibly people weren't that, that focused on it. What did change a lot at that time was the situation of women. Um, the wars had allowed women greater freedoms that probably they wouldn't have achieved certainly as quickly without, uh, without the wars. The role played by women, for example, in breaking the Enigma Code and, and working for the special operations executives, etc., showed the world that women were capable of a lot more than uh, was kind of assumed. What the war also uh, brought attention to again was the, the problem of, of the prostitute issue. Um, in, the, uh, in World War II, there was a massive campaign against venereal disease again. In fact, some people argue that one of the reasons why penicillin was being rushed through and that they were desperately trying to get it done was partly because there was so much uh, venereal disease within the armed forces. There's also, um, we have our own wartime kind of ripper case, Gordon Frederick Cummings, the blackout ripper murdered between four and six women between 1941 and 42. Now, feminists were very busy at this time supporting the war effort. In both wars, women's movements tended to give up for the sort of time of the war and support um, support what was going on. So, there's not an awful lot really to say about feminism and Jack the Ripper. It's just we need to know that that the situation of women had advanced a lot at that time. That's not to say women weren't interested in crime. I think if we think about some of the greatest crime writers of the 20th century, many of them are women. Agatha Christie. Dorothy L. Sayers, Naomi Marsh, Marjorie Allingham, uh, you know, in the early part of the 20th century, Ruth Rendell, P.D. James, Linda LaPlante, in the latter part. Even Anne Rule, um, who, who sadly passed away recently, um, was uh, a pro- prolific writer on true crime. So women clearly retained an interest in crime. So moving forward, uh, it was in the late uh, 20th century, that the relationship between the Ripper and feminism became more uh, obvious again. And I think a lot of that had to do with two key things that were happening around the same time. Firstly, uh, there was the Yorkshire Ripper. And secondly, there was the gearing up towards the centenary of um, Jack the Ripper. They happened at such a you know, sort of similar time that they clearly had an impact on each other, I would say. Add to this the fact that the what they call the second wave of feminism um, was happening from the 1960s onwards, and you've got a, a situation where anything to do with violence against women, etc., is very likely to become a hot topic. So as I mentioned, the Yorkshire Ripper, um, between 1975 and 1981, he murdered um, several women. Is still convicted for one amount, there's still a lot of debate over further attacks and killings that he may have been part of. Um, But it did 
highlights the, the problems of prostitution and violence towards women in a very similar way as had been highlighted at the time of the Ripper, only this time the response was slightly different. This time we saw things like reclaim the night marches. Women uh, went out on the streets and said, no, don't get us off the streets, make the streets safe for us. And I was talking to a colleague of mine from work who worked in Sheffield at the time of the Ripper Scare, and she had a long conversation with a policeman who told her that she shouldn't really be out at this time of night on her own, etc. And she said, why are you saying that to me? Why aren't you saying that to him? I'm not the killer. The killer's not a woman. Get the men off the streets. And this became quite a, a hot topic. Um, we also see, if we look at the relationship between the press etc. The attitudes towards the women is quite negative until the murder of Jane MacDonald, who was seen as the first, or is the first, uh, uh, supposed non-prostitute victim of the Ripper. Suddenly things change slightly. So the attitudes towards prostitutes kind of deserving it or putting themselves, uh, you know, being responsible for their own device certainly was lasting well into the later part of the 20th century. The late, this uh, late 1970s and 80s had seen a lot of high-profile cases of attacks on women, such as the Cambridge Rapist. We'd also seen relaxation in censorship laws, an increase in vi sexually violent films, which in many in the feminist community seemed to signal that once again, violence against women was an acceptable part of society. Um, alongside this, we have all of the St. Enemy stuff gearing up. And one of the first actions was the renaming of the Ten Bells. So, if you aren't aware, in April of 1975, the Ten Bells was renamed the Jack the Ripper. And it was launched complete with Ripper-based merchandise. Um, There's some examples. Um, your Ripper tea towels and your Ripper beer mats. Uh, and even a Ripper drink called the Ripper Tipple. Um, now, clearly, anybody who knows anything about the case knows that this, if it was done as an increase in uh, revenue, wasn't spent on improving toilets. <laughs> but... Uh, it did really, really sort of kick off people's attitudes towards um, making that relationship between Jack the Ripper and the Yorkshire Ripper. Uh, alongside this, of course, lots of similarities between the two cases were, were being kind of thrown up. There was the weird side Jack letters that uh, were done in, the, in the, the same style as the Dear Boss letters. There was the fact that they seemed to be incapable of catching the killer as they had been in, in 1888. And lots of people began to sort of actually find the attention that was being paid to it a little bit jarring. In the lead up to the autumn of 1888, there were a whole load of new books. Uh, some of the works were accused of preferring to titillate readers with stories of blood and gore, rather than look at the lives of the victims. As if to confirm this, a computer game was released, uh, complete with graphic depictions of mutilated women. I'm not sure how graphic they would have been in the late 80s, um, but, uh, but that was the idea. Now, feminists began to respond to this. They thought it was absolutely outrageous. Groups such as the Women Against Violence Against Women group mobilised, they went on a, to attack the Jack Ripper pub, they petitioned, they uh, protested, and the brewery gave in, if you like, and, and changed the name back uh, to the Ten Bells. Um, what they then looked at was, okay, so you know, what else is going on in this case? Around the same time, a, a work called The Age of Sex Crime was published by a lady called Jane Caputi. And uh, this led to Deborah Cameron to write in The Guardian that the publicity surrounding the case allowed men to uh, enact their brutal sexual fantasies. Uh, out of this came the concern group Action Against the Ripper Centenary. The group believed that the sanitation of the Ripper murders meant that a very, there was a very real danger to women being attacked on the streets. Um, and that this was being heavily played down. 
Um, I've even seen um, comments on, on boards about how um, there was a, a sense of anticipation that maybe this was going to happen again. Now, action against the Ripley St. Julian had four main aims. Uh, they said, uh, Jack Ripley killed five women in 88 become a folk hero seized on for profit, entertainment value by the media, publish, uh, publishing and tourist industries. In 1988, the year of his centenary, interest in the Ripley has te- intensified dramatically. His exploits are being celebrated in new books, computer games, records, TV features, and even on T-shirts. The women he murdered have meanwhile been forgotten. So they have four main aims. They wanted to draw public attention to the continuity between the acts of Jack the Ripper and the male sexual violence still going on, to protest against all events of entertainment which trivialise or glamorise sexual murder, to stop the media sensationalising and glorifying violent crimes against women, and to commemorate the women murdered by Jack the Ripper and all other women killed or damaged by male sexual violence. Now, that last point, I think, is one we can all agree upon, that, you know, it is the women in the case who we clearly want to remember more than any other aspect. Now, in most cases, what I've seen is the the frustration of women being actually um, directed not on the study of reprology, but on the media and how the media chooses to uh, respond to the case. So in 1988, when the uh, mortuary pictures surfaced, um, rather than the pictures being published with newspaper titles saying things like, you know, women of the East then revealed or something like that. They actually went down the road of, um, you know, can these pictures tell us who Jack the Ripper was? Which is, you know, clearly they don't. Uh, the pictures also, I think, humanised the victims. Um, prior to that, we have a lot of films where the victims are portrayed as sort of chirpy cockneys, like um, Barbara Windsor and people like that. Uh, and actually what we saw was that they weren't. They were ordinary women who'd had incredibly hard lives. Um, at this point, um, things clearly, the relationship is not a good one. Uh, since the centenary, uh, the relationship between Ferris and Jack Ripper has become a little bit more remote. There was the furore in 1988 and it died away slightly. So for the most part, the subject had become the focus of university dissertations and occasional articles in feminist journals by writers such as Judith Rogovitz. But more recently, things were to change. First of all, we have an article written by Kate Engelhart in the New Republic, um, which commented uh, on Ripper tours, which obviously is, a, is a, a thing close to a lot of people in here's hearts. She described uh, the Ripper tours as uh, being part of a, an industry of misogyny. Um, she said that they were very visual and that people seeing them uh, were told gory details, they had mortuary pictures or death scene pictures to pass around, uh, etc. She went on to say that ripperology was inherently misogynistic and gave little importance to the lives of the victims uh, and chose instead to pontificate um, at length on who Jack the Ripper was and why he killed. Now this is one area where I differ in many ways to feminist writers. Which is not alone in the thoughts. Uh, A.P. Wolf came out and described all Ripper studies as pornographic. Now, this led to an assumption that A.P. Wolf was a woman. Um, there's a wonderful quote here from Paul Ganey talking about she and repeatedly calling A.P. Wolf she and saying that she speaks from a female perspective. She has a problem because she is a woman. Now, there's anybody who knows A.P. Wolf is a man. So why should, but why would that matter? Why does it matter? Just because this is a person speaking out against it, so why, why would they have to be a woman, and, and why does it matter? <clears throat> Spend any time, though, really researching the case, and 
it completely proves Kate Englehart's point that we only focus on the who done it, we're not interested in women, completely wrong. Um, if you've studied the case at all, you may well have come across Chris Scott's excellent book on Mary Kelly. You might have come across Neil Sheldon's brilliant work on all the different victims, and he has a book dedicated to researching their lives and finding out what happened. John Bennett wrote some fantastic pieces about the centenary um, and about the relationship between women and, and the women's lives, etc. So it, it kind of shows that actually what feminists are violent against isn't true reprology, it's what they're seeing as reprology through the media. Although one of Engelhardt's other assertions does stand up to a little bit more scrutiny. She made the point that the majority of reprologists are men. And she justified this by uh, citing the articles written in the Reprologist as proof. Uh, now, consider your own bookshelves. Consider the books that were on offer last night in the, uh, in the um, raffles, etc. And actually, you'll find most of them were written by men. Consider Ripper conferences stretching back to the late 90s, and you will see that the vast majority of people speaking were men. Now, I was intrigued to why this was, because my uh, experience was there were a lot of women out there uh, who were interested in the case, lots of women on Casebook.org, lots of women on JCR forums. So I asked them, why do you think there aren't so many women represented? And, and most of them said things like, well, yeah, old story of time constraints on a woman that are maybe different from a man, or uh, I, I feel a bit like this is a boys' club and I'm kind of on the outside and I'm not sure how, how to get in. Um, and I'm not sure, again, that I agree necessarily with that. I think if you, if you force your way in, you're, you're quite welcome. Um, Melanie Clegg, who many of you will have seen speak a couple of years ago at uh, the River Conference, very uh, well on uh, Mary Kelly, is a, is a blogger, she's a, a writer, and she's a feminist. And uh, she went on to talk about why there is an issue between feminism and Jack the Ripper. I'll just go back. She said uh, this, and I totally agree with her, with her sort of points here. In a nutshell, and I don't believe, done properly, Ripperology is intrinsically unfeminist, or woman-hating, or misogynistic, or using murders as some sort of bizarre historical snuff porn. And I, I say, I, I totally agree with her there. Done <coughs> properly, though, is the key, the key thing here. Which leads me, neatly, to the Jack the Ripper Museum on Cable Street. Now, the big question is, why did this provoke such a reaction? When other Ripper ventures, etc., have, have not maybe seen quite the thing. But I think the key thing here stands in the fact that this was supposed to be a museum for women, and that's what it was touted as. That's what the people of the area were told it was going to be. That's what the planning commission went in for a women's history <coughs> museum. And as I said to you, women are slightly lacking in history. So for many women, I think they saw this as a, a very welcome step towards starting to level out that inequality slightly. Because over time, it morphed into a Ripper museum. Actually, I'm not, I don't like to use the term museum because the Museums Association have flat out said it is not a museum. As a historian, I've visited many museums. Museums uh, do not uh, put incorrect information out in the same way that this has. Tourist attraction, fair enough, but I really wouldn't call it a museum. Um, now, a lot of people had a lot to say about these women. Uh, Lezers, I'm sorry. Crumpets. <laughs> Jack, 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 but yes, that was you, Jack. He's not the only person in this room, though. Um, yes, Crumpet was the other one that particularly offended me, I have to say. Um, 
These women have every right to be here to protest. Protesting is, is a great tradition of our nation. I've been on many protests myself. You won't be surprised to hear. Um, however, I, I've never picked up something and smashed anything. That's not my cup of tea. And in fact, if you investigate this women's death group, whatever they're called, they're the same idiots who went down um, and uh, at an anti-capitalism march decided to attack John Lewis which is probably one of the least capitalists of all of the big businesses in Britain. It's a workers' cooperative. It's owned by the workers. Um, so they, they don't know what they're talking about, basically. But they are angry, and I think that these women have every right to be angry. You've promised a museum on women, you get a museum on Jack the Ripper. It's like turning up and thinking you're going to go to a museum about the Blitz to find it's you know, an exhibition of Messerschmitts or something. It's not the same thing, and it's you know, possibly it is offensive. So... I'm not going to say too much about the music. I haven't been. Um, I've seen the pictures of people in the room who have been. Um, I, I don't think it's particularly nice, uh, but it's a tourist attraction. If it's seen as a tourist attraction, I don't necessarily have a problem with it being you know, there or it existing. Um, but um, it, it does clearly need to... We, I think we do need to distance ourselves from it. Because I don't think that true ripperology will ever shake off this misogynistic uh, label when we are associated with things like that. Um, so, are ripperology and feminism impossible bedfellows? No. No, they're not. I'm a feminist and I'm a historian and I'm a ripperologist. It's that key thing of done properly, isn't it? Nobody in this room has got out a picture of a mutilated woman just for the sake of it. It's one of the things that annoys me on some of the um, Facebook boards. Someone will post a picture of Mary Kelly. And I've, I've come, I mean, some of you might say, I've come out to why. Why have you posted it? Say, oh, it's for, it's for interest. People, people want to see it. Well, get a book out then. There's plenty of them in the book. Get the book out. Look at it in your own you know, time or whatever. We've all seen it. We don't need it to be repeatedly put out there. And that is one of the things that annoys me. Seeing some people's reactions to the protesters annoyed me. And as I say, I would challenge any feminist who opposes Jack the Ripper and, and has the views of Kate Englehart, clearly a clever woman, she's clearly researched her talk though, completely missed the point of so much of the work that is out there to come to a conference, to listen to the things that people have got to say and to realise that how many of us sit around discussing mutilations. How many of us sit around for like, we don't. We're past that. We all got past that on the first couple of pages of whichever book brought us to the case. We're much more interested in the social history now. We're much more interested in these sorts of things. So as I say, I invite any of those feminists to come and to meet people like you and to say, why are you interested in the case? And to wait for the response. Because it won't be because I hate women. Okay? It won't be because I think Jack's a hero. It'll be because I'm really interested in what it has to say about social history. I'm really interested in what it has to say about psychology. I heard people talking last night saying that. So, is it a feminist issue? Jack, absolutely it's a feminist issue. It's a feminist issue because of misunderstanding. It's a feminist issue because of possible ignorance on both sides. And it's a feminist issue because it's about women. And that's what we're really all here to talk about. That's what we're really sort of here. We, we all feel for those women. We all want to see their memory done properly. I'll just come back to this quote. This is, this is a nice quote. This came from JTR Forums. How Brown apparently had suggested putting in a female-only page into JTR Forums uh, to allow women to discuss the Ripper case. And most of the women came on and went, no. 
Thank you. We don't want our own page. We're quite happy here. And this is a quote from Deb Arif. And I love it because it says, aren't we all, the male and females of this community, who post regularly trying to distance ourselves from this type of glorification? Documenting the lies and the t times of these women as accurately as possible is the passion of many of the male researchers. I can't think of one male post who hasn't shown empathy and compassion for the plight of these women. Glorification is a separate issue and is seldom found on these boards. Absolutely true. So, worst thing to happen to feminism since Jack the Ripper? I don't think Jack the Ripper is something bad to have happened to feminism. I think the hijacking of the case by the media, by people who wish to glorify and glamorise, that's a feminist issue. Jack itself is not. Does anybody know what was being described here, by the way? Just, just, I'll just end on this point. No? This was Elvis Costello, who was talking about Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> Right, well, that's, that's me. Done. Thank you very much. I don't know if anyone is as a public as I know, Kate was actually, you were pretty nervous, weren't you? Very nervous. There were lots of superlatives on social media about as you know. Um, Kate Bradshaw was a teacher, and as I'm sure you all know, as a teacher myself, teachers do it standing up in front of lots of people. <laughs> Excellent stuff. I think she'd have another round of applause. a woman and she is also involved in women's suffrage at the same time. So have you found any evidence that she was conflicted or that she attracted any criticism for writing about the case at the time? No, and I don't think there was that same attitude at that time. I think the hostility between the Ripper and feminists <coughs> is very much a 1970s phenomenon. It began with, I think, it had the Yorkshire Ripper not happened at the same time as the, the uh, preparation for the Santini happened, I don't think it would have been such a, an issue. Um, so I'm not seeing anything like that. I'm not seeing any evidence that any of the feminist writers felt that they wanted to distance themselves from the case. I think many saw it as an opportunity, actually, to say, look at the really, really bad conditions these women were in. The only way that those conditions can be improved is by education, is by extending the franchise, is by all of these things. So no, yeah, no, not, not at that time myself. I think it's a later invention. Fantastic talk, by the way, Kate. Um, now, first of all, I'm sorry about the whole Leza thing. <laughs> but um, it, it, it was an odd thing with the, the Jack the Ripper Museum, because uh, a lot of us, and there's a fair few guides who are here today, and we were really very much against it. And um, I've, I've been to the museum, I thought it was rubbish. You know, it's way more than 12 quid. Okay, so that's just a, a, a message out there. But um, a lot of the girls there, they, uh, you know, they were never very much for women's rights, and they've never actually spoken to any of the actual prostitutes around Whitechapel to this day. Now, 
obviously I've, I've been I've been a guy you know working for Ricky for four years and I've met a lot of these girls and you know and they're they're, they're really lovely folk and they and they they live in Hobart Town they live in don't, don't you begin laugh <laughs> and uh, they live in Hobart Town they live in just off of Hanbury Street and then and then and they're living like you know, obviously trying to get off drugs and things like that and alcohol dependency but a lot of these gals don't actually. Have a lot of support from a lot of the feminist charities that these girls claim to work for. Um, I'm, not, I'm not necessarily, you know, just trying to make a point with this, but you know, we give a lot to these girls. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I give any, any change I've got to any of these girls. Um, but in, in a sense, is there, is there a, 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 a sense that a lot of you know people think of reprology that we're just basically glorifying a murder? Even though at the end of my talks I actually say the killer should not be revered, he should be reviled, and what should be remembered is the women. You know, that's why I say at the end of my talks. You know, that a lot of it's not even actually being remembered by, by feminist sort of like charities and like movements and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting actually, my dissertation into charities in the East End, and what it showed was that whilst the, the Ripper was around, everyone went <gasps> and gave money, and then as soon as the fraud arrived down, they stopped giving money. Um, and so that kind of does link with what you're saying. I'd also like to point out that when I'm talking about tours, I don't actually think there's anything wrong with Jennifer tours, and the vast majority of people who I, I've been on a couple, um, and the vast majority of people who do it do it very well and very sympathetically. Um, there are some out there. I, one, my first one I went on was awful. It was about. Haven't been on mine. No, it was about 15 years ago, and it was awful. Uh, it was they got so much wrong, etc. But um, I think, and, and, I know, and I know that you know, Ricky has given money to various charities through you know, from the, the, the tours um, that, that help women in the East End. I think there is a lot of work going on from these families. I think some of these women don't live. You know, you see these people every day, so they necessarily live in the area to, to do that. But. Um, I do think there's a lot of sympathy with these women of that, and I think that one of the reasons why they don't like to see this glorification is because they know it's still going on. You know, there are still prostitutes on the street, they are still being attacked on a regular basis, etc. Um, so, I don't know about charitable giving, but um, there, is, there is a lot of work amongst feminist groups to open up shelters to help women get off the streets, etc. Um, a lot of those, those women here will have done a lot, will have participated or donated to things like that. But yeah, they likely haven't actually spoken to a tour guide. They likely haven't spoken to anybody in this room who has an interest in the case and said, why are you interested in gender? And you know, people ask me that all the time, and I'm happy to say, what's well, this, this, and this, and I never once do I mention mutilation or whatever. So. To be fair, I was, I was speaking to one of the gals in Whitechapel um, well, about a week or two ago, and you know, I, was just, I was just sitting there having a chat with her, because at the end of the day, treat them like a human being. And don't treat like a sex object. Like a human being. No, and I don't believe either that you know men are inherently some kind of crazy sexual beings who are constantly running around trying to find women to attack either. You know? <laughs> that's, that's not the case either, obviously. But yeah. Hey, no. okay. can I have some of this great talk by the way? Thank you. The Match Girl Strike in 1888. Did that? Do you think that had anything to do with polarising views? Sympathy and hate. It may have it may have contributed to an anti-female feeling. Uh, obviously, a lot of the women involved in the uh, match girl strikes were also involved in the other campaigns, so it might have contributed to an anti anti-feminist or an anti-feminist. <coughs> 
I think the anti-prostitute feeling was a, was an old one, and I think that um, probably had more to do with the sort of culture of wanting to deny the fact that women ever had a, a had a sexuality or anything like that. But yeah, I think it certainly would have contributed to anti-feminist feeling at the time. Kate, could I put in something on the match girls strike? That had been led by Annie Besant, who was then running for the first London County Council elections in the East End, had a lot of support because she had led the match girls strike. The radicals had every hope of winning that election. They spotted the Ripper murders as a way of highlighting the appalling social conditions. And that lay very much behind the Palmal Gazette beginning its strong Ripper stories, which were then picked up by other newspapers when they sold so much. So I think that the Match Girls strike is genuinely closely linked to the Ripper case as a matter of social and political history. Yeah, yeah. I think my point was that it didn't necessarily galvanize uh, people to dislike prostitutes rather than, you know, a, a general link. Ah, hang on. Hello? Ah, right, I'll try, just time for one more. It has to be a quick one, because uh, we're already over. And I'm over here. Um, if you, we've heard also accounts of uh, describing uh, prostitutes in disparaging terms in, in the late Victorian period. But if you read uh, other accounts, they spoke about money, underclass men in very disparaging terms as well. I think they just spoke about the underclass in disparaging terms, not women or men, all underclass people. So men would describe the lower class men as well as all beasts and all sorts of things as well. I don't think there was a sexual aspect to, to it, because all lower class people were thought of as being animistic and beasts of beastly people. Um, but at the same time, we were pretty equal to the world. A few of them came to us, a big cortege, and we came to watch the streets as well. They were all romanticised in death. Oh, definitely. Especially Mary Kelly, of course. Why? Because she was the young, supposedly the young pretty one. Um, it's funny how Brown on JTR forums said he didn't think, he didn't actually believe he would be interested in the case if it hadn't been for, if, if it had been by men who'd been killed. I agree with you that, that the, um, that the, the attitudes of the press against the working classes was absolutely abominable and the way the working classes in general were described was terrible. I think the, the key point I'm making there is that what leads in particular to prostitutes being kind of made into a, a further subclass, you know, you can kind of hit the working class and then dig and find the prostitutes, um, was all caught up in this idea of the sexual double standard and they were, uh, you know, reviled further and more because they broke with that ideal of womanhood and, and I think that yes men were described in terrible terms but I, I still believe that the like I said the ceiling dropped even further for women in that time of prostitutes okay that's all we've got time for and um, we're going to have uh, one, one last thing I can say to Kate have you ever thought we'll write a book about this can you do it no I'm a teacher all right Kate Bradshaw And that was Catherine Amin with Jack as a Feminist Issue, The Double Standard Through Time. I'd like to give a big thanks to Kate for allowing Rippercast to release her talk. 
and to all of those who continue to supply the podcast with recordings like these, which are of great interest to our listeners and very much deserve to reach a wider audience. We are a podcast sponsored and hosted by the website casebook.org, where you will find over 100 roundtable discussions, author interviews, and conference presentations all about the Whitechapel murders in Victorian and Edwardian society and crime. If you have any comments or questions concerning what you've heard on any of our podcasts, please feel free to find us on the discussion threads on casebook.org or via Facebook and Twitter by searching for RipperCast. I'd like to thank everybody for listening, and we'll see you next time.